Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. In the 15th century, God raised up a unique saint who would not only be a contradiction brought on by Renaissance, she would gather others to follow in her divine quest to live a life of holiness. Come to the north of Italy, to a little village called Desenzano, east of Brescia. The quiet little town lays peacefully on Lake Garda on the outskirts of Lombardia. On a chilly, damp spring morning, March 21, 1474, a girl child was born to a farmer named Giovanni and his wife, Signora Merici, who was of the noble Biancosa family of Salo. From the very beginning, the child Angela was wrapped in a robe of piety and holiness, her parents having only one focus for their daughter, to bring her up to love and serve Jesus. And this they did, first by who they were, then by word and deed. Angela asked her father to read to her so that she could learn about the saints and virgin martyrs of the past. They delved into the Bible and other spiritual books, pouring over stories of those who had shaped the church. Each evening after chores, they would sit by the fire and travel with those who lived and died for the church. Little Angela was happy wherever her parents brought her. They left the town of Desenzano and came out to a suburb town of Grassi, which is where her father placed the little family in a very small house, but she loved it very much. They all lived in one room, and eight, at age five, Angela began to live the life of a contemplative with all the mortification, sleeping on a bare floor. But she was not a somber, somber child. She was a very happy child. She was like another, another like uh, Dominic Savio. If the parents, for whatever reason, forgot to say the Angelus prayer, she would remind them. And often they had to work through the Angelus, and they would say, please tell our Lord Jesus We're sorry we have to work or feed our little creatures, and so it's necessary that we work through the Angelus. But thank our Lord Jesus for all the gifts He's given us. So she was a very happy, uh, a bubbly child. And then one day, her robust father suddenly, as it was as if all his strength drained out of him, and he just lay there and couldn't move. He was dying. And as a child, Angela began speaking to her father. About paradise and of Jesus, and she held his hand and prepared him for where he was going. And so his death was peaceful, but her life after that was peaceful. Then tragedy struck again. Her older sister, who she and her sister had always been inseparable, suddenly died. And they were so close, not only as sister but spiritually. They had the same goals, the same desires. Everything about them was the same as far as their spirituality went. When her sister died, although the sister had been an extremely holy girl, Angela grieved because her sister had not received the last sacraments, and she was concerned whether her sister was in heaven. So Angela Marici was given the gift of her first vision. And that was of a sister being accompanied by the heavenly army of angels, telling her that yes, she was in heaven. The Lord, in His mercy, had granted Angela her first vision. She would have many visions in her lifetime, but none would surpass that which reassured her beyond any doubt that her dear sister was in heaven with our Lord Jesus. Till the day she died, she could vividly paint with words the picture she had seen. As the noble families of the village concerned, Angela, well-bred, her mother being of noble birth, 
And considering her family was impoverished as a result of falling into hard times, they began to take notice of Angela. She was growing into beauty, and the young men of these fine families soon became very attracted to her. They began to ask her mother for Angela's hand in marriage. It was time for Angela to tell her mother she had pledged her troth to Jesus to be his bride then and forever. Having done so, she could not consider any earthly spouse. Her mother, remembering how this child of hers was spiritual from her earliest years, did not pursue the question of Angela considering the proposals of marriage. She recognized she was not fighting Angela, but the one who had chosen her to be his own. Soon after her mother passed out on the kitchen floor, there had been a farmer's wife with her. She called for help, and they placed Angela's mother in bed. Angela was 18 years old. The mother, knowing her time was short, called Angela into her bedroom. She blessed her. She told her that now Jesus, Angela's spouse, would have to be her sole consolation as she was leaving Angela to join her husband and daughter in heaven. She told her to give her brother, Angela's uncle, a message that she had died in peace and that he must promise to take Angela into his family as his own. That night, after receiving the last rites of the church, her mother closed her eyes forever. Angela was alone. Her uncle came and buried his sister next to her husband and daughter. Angela, her eyes filled with tears, said goodbye to father, mother, and sister. It was that terrible time. Goodbye, goodbye to all you had known, and a painful hello to the frightful unknown. But for her uncle to fulfill his sister's dying wishes would not be difficult. Angela was lovable. Angela was given a second family, but life would never be the same. Angela began life with her uncle's family in the village of Salo. Whereas life in Desenzano with its poverty was joyful, life in Salo with its sumptuous surroundings and luxury was painful. Through no fault of her own, Angela again gained the attention of the fine families and their sons, only now of Salo. Angela asked her uncle if she could visit the Carmelite convent, which her mother had spoken of with so much love and fond memories. There in the chapel, while praying before the statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, she saw a sweet image of the Virgin Mother who told her to prostrate herself before her son. Mother Mary told her of how from the moment she said yes to the angel Gabriel until the moment her beloved son breathed his last on the cross, and then even thereafter she lived for him. She asked Angela, can you do likewise? She told Angela she would be with her heavenly mother. She would guide her in her walk towards Jesus and the eternal life with him. But she warned her to be the bride of Christ is to be the bride of the crucified Lord to willingly suffer with him beside Mother Mary at the foot of the cross. Now her uncle continued to introduce her to the finest families. Although she was civil and kind, her heart had been given to the supreme lover of the universe. She followed the same austere walk of life she had walked in Desenzano as a child. But now, an adult, 
She was even stricter in her spiritual exercises. Each morning she went to Mass. As the Mass progressed, her heart would begin to swell. As the priest came closer and closer to that great moment when he would lift high the host, she thought, Oh, if only I could die right now and be with you, adoring you in your beatific vision. Her life was not only filled with peace and tranquility, although dedicated to an austere life, she faced temptation like any girl of her age. One night she heard a young man serenading a young girl outside her window. It was so sweet, so romantic. She prayed all the harder, asking the Lord to forgive her for her thoughts, her temptations. Suddenly, who should appear but one of the handsomest young men she had ever seen? He looked like an angel. He was perfect. But there was something about his eyes. They were not gentle eyes like a celestial angel. They were more like some of the men she had met. No, he was a fallen angel who had seduced Eve in the Garden of Eden. Angela cried out, Return to the inferno of hell, enemy of the cross. I recognize you. You are not an angel of God. The vision disappeared, and she lay there prostrate, her face on the ground. Although relieved that he had left, she was trembling, knowing she had faced the king of darkness, and too prudent to think that was the end of it. There was a battle being waged between the good angels and the fallen ones in Italy, which spread to the province of Lombardy and then filtered down to the little village of Salo with her uncle's children and the other youths as spoils. As she was preparing for a consecrated life in Jesus, praying in her little room, she could sense the turbulence. She could sense a troubled spirit. What did Angela do? She prayed and did penance for those who would lose their souls and begged God to spare the young, especially those of her uncle's household, from falling into the fires of hell that day. This would be her life, to do penance for the sins of the world. What is it that Mother Mary said to the children of Fatima? Many are going to hell because so few will pray, fast, and sacrifice. Angela was admitted into the Third Order of St. Francis as a tertiary. Her lifestyle became even more austere. She desired no bed, preferring to sleep on the floor, and subsisted on a small repast of some bread, a little water, and some vegetables. Shedding the fine clothes provided by her uncle and aunt, she donned the robes of St. Francis, went among the poor, tended the sick, shared what food she had, consoling the dying and the families left behind. She was a saint in their midst. But Angela knew it was time for her to leave the comfort of her uncle's home and to return to Desenzano. She was about 26 years old at this time. On returning to a native village of Desenzano without family or a place to live, she wondered what she was supposed to enter, a monastery or what. She was both dismayed and appalled at the lack of education she was praying and treating God to show her his plan. You sent me back here, but what am I supposed to do? Enlighten me, please, Lord. The Lord responded by filling the air with the sweetest perfume. The birds began to chirp happily in the trees. 
The sky opened up, the clouds disappeared, and lo and behold, Angela saw a procession of a splendid celestial company of angels and virgins descending two by two from heaven, processing down a regal, magnificent staircase. Angels were playing various musical instruments, accompanying the virgins who were singing. Then who passed the others, coming towards Angela, but her sister who had died. She looked beautiful and oh so happy. She told Angela the Lord wanted to use her, that it was his desire that she form a company of virgins with whom the task he had planned for her would come about. And this company was to be formed in Brescia, a large city to the west of Desenzano. Now, Angela preferred to join a contemplative order and serve the Lord in the cloister. But it was obvious the Lord wanted her to be religious in the world, serving him through serving his children out in the world. There was a time when I was considering entering the diaconate in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and I had several meetings with a Monsignor downtown who said to me, Bob, you know, you can have more effect on people in the marketplace than I can with my collar and my black suit. You are of the people. You can have more of an effect on them. And I believe that this is the same idea that St. Angela Marici and her followers had down through the ages, that they can be a light, the light of Jesus, to the light in the world. Angela discussed this with some friends, mostly other tertiaries. They were in the same boat she was. They had little money and less resources. But what they lacked in material assets, they excelled in love and willingness to make a difference. What could they do? They rallied round her. If she would lead the way, they would follow. Now, Angela was a born leader. Their first step was to round up the young girls of the village and begin to teach. Our omnipotent God would work with humility. Angela was asked to go to Brescia. Remembering her vision of her sister, she agreed. Arriving in Brescia, Angela was soon offered a place to live. There was a noble family living in Brescia whom she had once helped. The mother, Catherine, had lost her two sons. All the joy that had formerly filled her sumptuous home was gone. Angela visited the grieving mother. She spoke softly and lovingly. She listened patiently while Catherine vent all her anger against God for taking her two sons. Angela shared how desolate she had felt when she had lost father and mother, then sister. She didn't know why God took them when he did, but she knew one thing, that he loved her, and he loved Catherine. Because of Angela's aid, Catherine became stronger and stronger. Also, because of the help Angela had given to the woman, they became very close. So now, years later, when Angela came to Brescia, she lived in Catherine's home. After a few weeks, however, Angela left her home and, with her tertiaries, moved into a home closer to the church so that the women could receive the sacraments and attend Mass frequently. And with this central location make their ministry known to other women. At the church, which became their headquarters and meeting place, the company of Angela 
heard Mass on one side of the altar, and the cloistered nuns who were originally from the parish church would hear the Mass on the other side, behind the grill. The little company were not religious in that they did not live in cloister but worked in the world. At the time of St. Angela, if you were a nun, you were in cloister. That was it. She wanted to work in the world, and the company of St. Angela were lay people who lived at home, went to church, gathered in the church, went to Mass there, and then went out into the world to work for the Lord in the secular world or wherever he called them, be it hospitals, schools, teaching, whatever the need was. From time to time, Angela the Contemplative sought the quiet voice of the Lord by making a pilgrimage to a holy shrine. These journeys of faith influenced her life and reinforced her conviction that she was doing the will of God. On one occasion, she journeyed to the town of Mantua to visit the tomb of Blessed Osana, a mystic whom Angela most admired. She returned to Brescia so inspired, she began to search for young men, counseling them on seeking the will of God in their lives. She spoke so powerfully, many of them decided to become priests. When the opportunity to visit the Holy Land presented itself, she joyfully accepted it. From her youngest years, her life had been filled with the wonder and awe of God's love that she had discovered through reading sacred scripture. She had meditated on Jesus' life and death on the cross. To think now, she would walk where her Lord walked, look upon the Sea of Galilee where he walked on water, climb the mountain of the Beatitudes where he multiplied the loaves and fishes, stand in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat blood for our sins, and then kneel at Calvary where he gave up his life for us. In 1525, the church was once again bleeding with attacks being leveled at her, now from Germany, through one of our own Father Martin Luther. If ever there was a need for a Holy Year pilgrimage to be proclaimed, it was in the 16th century. In 1525, the Pope invited all the faithful to pilgrimage to Rome to celebrate the Holy Year and receive an indulgence. Angela was so excited, not only with the possibility of seeing the Pope, but to visit the basilicas of Rome, the catacombs where the martyrs were laid to rest, and the Colosseum where the martyrs had been sacrificed. To show how high a regard the Pope had for St. Angela and her work, he granted her a private audience. She knelt before him and he blessed her. He was so enchanted by her, her enthusiasm, her knowledge, her love for the poor, and most of all for Mother Church, he asked her to remain and work in Rome and continue her work there, which she did. But then Brescia and the needs of the poor called to her, and she was on her way back home. On her return to Brescia, she could see Lutheranism dividing the nobility and the church. It was a sad time, division causing dissension and dissension bringing about death. Angela would battle this Protestant revolution with education. She warned the populace at large how important it was to be vigilant, as in some parts of Italy and much of Europe, the faith was being taken away from the faithful. She said, The devil never sleeps but attacks in a thousand disguises, looking for your ruination. Therefore, be on guard, take care, be of one accord, believing in the one church and the one truth. 
like the early apostles and the early Christians, continued to walk the straight path of God. She said the devil will appear under the guise of being good. Beware of the darkness. The Lord said to Angela, Take heart, Angela. Before you die, you will find in Brescia a company of maidens similar to those you have just seen. God had spoken these words as Angela beheld the vision of angels and virgins descending a staircase from heaven. At that time, she understood the command that she was to form a company of virgins. As we have seen in our own lives and the life of our ministry, God tells us his will for us and outlines his plan. But very often, as it is uh, in the case of Angela Marici, 30 or so years before he has it come to pass. St. Angela Marici was very active all her life in ministry, but she founded the company of Angela Marici as we know it today in 1536, actually just four years before she died. When Angela formed this company, they were not to wear religious habits, but she preferred them to wear black modest dresses in keeping with the holy life they were called to. Till today, the charism of the Ursulines is teaching. When St. Angela first started this company, she started them with the charism that they would teach young women how to live a holy and virtuous life. And after her death, St. Charles Borromeo had them form an actual religious order of nuns, the Ursulines. And although there are an order of nuns called Ursulines, and although they are still part of this group, there are still women who form the Companions of Angela Marici, which are still living according to the rule written by St. Angela Marici in 1536, which is single, virgin, living either in the house that they had formed or in their own home, working for the Lord in the world. Something very interesting. Like Catherine of Siena, Angela Marici could not write. So she dictated the rule to a professor who put it into written form. In 1544, four years after her death, Pope Paul III published a bull officially affirming the company of St. Ursula as a congregation. So it was then formed into a congregation, but the company of St. Angela remained a lay community and was refounded by two sisters, Signore Girelli. Her body is incorrupt. It has never decomposed. From 1544 and 454 years later, her body is still incorrupt and has never been preserved in any way by any chemicals. This is an act of the Lord in preserving the body. In 1930, her body was taken from the tomb where she had been to, to be prepared to be placed in the glass sarcophagus where she could be venerated by the faithful. At that time, her flesh was very fair and soft and pliable. But the parish priest who was in charge at the time decided that she should be cleaned, and they did so that uh, they did that to many of the saints whose bodies are incorrupt. And what it did do, it turned its, the skin dark. The same thing happened to the body of St. Bernadette after her body was taken out of the grave 40 years after her death. They washed the body and did not dry it properly, probably because it was near impossible to do. They put her body back in the ground, and when they brought it up for identification some years later, there were dark, moldy spots where they had washed the body. The same happened in the case of St. Angela Marici, that when the body was taken out in 1930, her face was clear and light, and now it's very dark. During the time of Napoleon, 1808-1809, in that area, he disbanded all religious orders, 
in his possessions, especially Italy, and the company of St. Angela Merici was completely disbanded for 60 years. And it wasn't until 1856 that two ladies, sisters Elisabetta and Magdalena Girelli, refounded the company of St. Angela Merici. It's amazing, you know. It's as if the Lord said when the Pharisees told him to silence his disciples when he was entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. He responded to them, even should I silence them, the very stones will cry out. And so the company of Angela Merici could not be silenced because God needs this sign in the world. And so this was when the two sisters came into play and refounded the company of St. Angela. In 1568, there were four depositions for witnesses who had known Angela Merici during her lifetime. Two centuries had to pass before the cause for her beatification was opened. But in 1768, it was decreed by Pope Clement XIII that Angela now deserved to bear the title Blessed. And in 1807, Pope Pius VII canonized Angela Merici and St. Angela Merici entered the Royal Communion of Saints. In 1866, Pope Pius IX extended devotion to St. Angela Merici from Italy to the entire universal church. We leave you with the words of St. Angela Merici. I want to become a saint because I love Jesus. Family. The church is again in crisis. Do we have other Angela Mericis out there who want to become saints? Today in that little town of Brescia, the company of Angela Merici still exists of sisters who want to do the work of Jesus. Thank you for being with us. I know that there are Angela Mericis out there. Be bold. Follow your head and your heart. We love you. God bless you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.